So one of the interesting things, we're going through the Psalms this summer. We're not going to do all of them, but some of them. And one of the things that really struck me as I began to study this, this book again and think about how to present it uh, in, in how we should think about what God is teaching us through the book in its entirety, is one thing that really surprised me, as I, I never really thought about it before, is that the Psalms do not begin with a rousing hymn of praise to the Lord, which is at the end of the book. If you read 146 through 150, you'll see that. It's just hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. But it begins with actually, blessed is the person who walks in the ways of the Lord. And that's one of the interesting things. The Psalms want us to sing about the flourishing life of the godly so that the Lord would impress it upon our hearts and lead us in the right way. But one of, one of the things is that uh, the Bible teaches us clearly that godliness is the way to human flourishing. That is, when we center ourselves on God and his word, then that leads to life. It leads us to flourish, to blossom, and to do good works that bless the people around us. And that's a vision God wants us to have. But of course, in the midst of human life, it doesn't always look like that. And this passage that we're dealing with talks about what do we do when we see that those who don't follow the Lord, who indeed oppose him, seem to prosper, seem to be doing well, seem to be succeeding even in fighting against what is right and what is good. And this can be especially acute when we ourselves are in pain, when we are experiencing some sort of persecution or difficulty. What do we do? And I believe this psalm gives us a resource you can see this throughout the Psalms, but we're going to see kind of an entry point here. But I think it'll help you process a lot of what's going to happen in the Psalms. Um, so I just want to read verses 1 through 9. Uh, it's a long Psalm, 40 verses, and I would encourage you to read it for yourself. But the substance of, what, of the message is, is contained in verses 1 through 9, though we'll, I'll mention a few other verses as well. So let's listen to God's holy and inspired word. Psalm 37 of David. Do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn. Your vindication... Like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret, it leads only to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. This is God's holy word. Let's pray. O Lord, our great and awesome God, we give you praise and give you all the glory and honor that is due to your name. And we thank you, O Lord, that you have condescended to speak to us, to teach us how we should think, to teach us how we should live, and to call us to yourself. And so, Lord, speak to each person here. Use the words that are spoken to, to help us to see you in a greater way than ever before, to find the peace and life and hope and rest that we can have in you that will send us forth to do good works in this world. I thank you, O Lord, for this opportunity to gather together. Help us, O Lord. Teach us, O Lord. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior, we pray. Amen. Have you ever pictured to yourself a time in the United States 
when studying the Bible together might be illegal. Or maybe if it's not illegal, that there be such opposition to it that if people got together to study the Bible, then people would break up those groups with violence. Have you ever imagined such a scenario? Well, I want to tell you that such a scenario actually occurred for a long period of time if you were African-American in the pre-Civil War South. In many states, it was illegal to teach people to read, and they were forbidden from gathering together to study the Bible. And even where they were not forbidden to, it was strongly discouraged. One person who experienced that was a man named Frederick Douglass. Frederick Douglass was born in the 1850s in Maryland, which was a slave state. But at age nine, he was sent to Baltimore. Uh, his, his owner, who was, um, who was a woman, sent him to his, uh, her sister-in-law, named Miss Sophie, there in Baltimore. And there, as far as slaves go, he had a pretty good life. And it's not just because he was in a, a better place and better conditions, but because Miss Sophie really loved him and treated him like a human being. And in addition, Frederick Douglass wanted to learn to, to read. And Miss Sophie was willing to teach him. And she realized, this guy is pretty smart. This little boy is learning. And she was so pleased with how well he was doing. So she, at dinner one night, she decided to tell her husband, uh, Hugh, about how well Frederick was doing learning to read and learning to read the Bible. Hugh did not like it at all. He was not happy. And he said, if you teach this boy how to read the Bible, there will be no keeping him. It will forever unfit him for the duties of a slave. And you know what that did to little Freddie? Made him want to learn to read. <laughs> he said, and so what he did is every time he, he could, he would ask people to help. He'd, he'd, for those who were poor on the streets that he met, he'd, he'd give them some of the food that he had, and they'd teach him something, and he began to really learn. He collected pages of the Bible so he could have his own. When he was 13, uh, he heard a Methodist minister preaching about how the fact that all are sinners equally before God and all are in need of the grace of Jesus Christ. And at that time, he recognized his need. He, he cast himself upon God and embraced Jesus Christ as his Savior. And he had a mentor who helped him grow for, for many years, and he grew in the Lord. But then at age 16, his actual mistress, who was Lucretia, who had sent him to Baltimore, died. And the owner, his ownership went to her now widower husband and named Thomas. And Thomas wanted Frederick back. And so he went back to work, away from the good conditions of Baltimore to the much tougher conditions of rural Maryland. And so... Frederick began to be discouraged, as you can imagine. But one thing that gave him light was that he could teach the Bible to a group of slaves. And they met every Sunday. He was teaching them to read, teaching them about the Bible. But when his master found out about that, Thomas, he and a group of slave owners took clubs and went and forcefully broke up that Bible study and forbade him to ever do it again. In addition... He sent him to a man named Edward Covey, who was known as a breaker of young slaves. And so there he was forced to work harder than ever before, often under the lash of a cowskin whip. And how did Frederick feel about this? Well, he was on the edge of a breakdown and about to lose his faith. 
And it's those sorts of times that this psalm is addressing. Times of real evil, real struggle, where we see those who are doing wrong doing well. We see those who are doing right doing very badly. And what is the message that the Lord has for us in times like that? Well, it's a rather surprising one. It says to us, Do not fret because of evildoers. Do not fret because of those who are evil. We talk about the person. Here we are thinking about people who succeed in their ways when they carry out their wicked schemes. In verse 14, this wicked person is described as the wicked who draw the sword and bend the bow to bring down the poor and the needy, to slay those whose ways are upright. Now, the Bible describes the righteous who trust in the Lord as like a tree that's flourishing. But here, in verse 35, it says, I have seen a wicked and ruthless man flourishing like a luxuriant native tree. And so it's easy for these things to really take hold of our hearts, to really frustrate us, to really have that anger possess us. You see, we tend to, to when we look at the world, we, we can easily tend to give people too big a place in our lives. And we can do this in terms of blessing or cursing. Sometimes we think that if we just get the right person or the right group of people into our lives, then all our problems will be solved. If I could just find the right spouse, if I, could just find, if, if I just had the right child, if we just had the right pastor, if we just had the right people in our church, if we just had the right political party in power, if we had just had the right president, then we could be in a good place. That's how we can look at things. But we can do it the opposite way, too, where we, where we start to think that we, we start to let the, the evils that someone has done against us or could do to us take hold of us in a way that we make them really big in our lives. And it could be the same group of people. It could be a parent, maybe a parent who's even abused us, that, that we live out of that, um, which is a real harm, a real terrible thing, right? We could do it with a child that we're expecting, or that that child has done us wrong or abandoned us. We can do it with a political party where everything, that we look at everything in terms of what that political party is doing or what that president is doing, or what that pastor is doing, or what that unruly congregant, unruly member of the church, which, of course, I've never experienced here. <laughs> and we make these people so big. They're the stu- it's the stuff that keeps us up at night. It's the stuff that we keep thinking about. We think about the wrongs that have been done. We think about the wrongs that are being done. We think about the wrongs that could be done. And into that, the Lord tells us something rather surprising. He says, do not fret because of those who do evil. He says, do not fret when people, the wicked, succeed in their ways. He says, refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. And to that we might say, what? This is the real issues of life. Why would I not fret about it? Things bad have happened. Things bad are happening. Things that are bad will happen, and things could be much worse. Why would I not fret about that? Why would I not worry about that? It seems like we should fret about that, right? But what does God say? Do not fret. Don't let that dominate your life. Now, what I think is that this is a message we need at this time. Uh, In our land in particular, but it's true for every time. But 
Um, it's so easy in our polarized political environment to let that just dominate our hearts. So it's all we think about. We can't talk about the future without discussing what some bad person is going to do. We can't, we can't think of anything else. It's all we put on Facebook. That's all we talk about. And I, I knew him. I was, I, when I think about this, I think of this, this man that I met not too long ago. And he, he told me that he was kind of living an isolated life. He didn't see a lot of people. He was kind of living up in the mountains. And he was just watching the news all the time. And he was just so angry. He was fretting, 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 fretting. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? And he eventually said, I'm going to give up on that. And he, he left the house and got an RV and started traveling around. And, and then he realized, like, oh, wait a minute. Maybe there are some good things in this world. Well, you know, there's a lot of reasons why we shouldn't fret. The wisest among us, even those who are not Christians, have recognized you don't want to let the anxieties of life take hold of you. You don't want to let the wrongs that people have done uh, take hold of you. You don't want to, you don't want to let, let the, the evil that people could do take too much a hold of your heart because what happens is you end up doing yourself more damage than you do to that person who's doing wrong. And so they've said, it's, we can't only handle so much, so we, we need to let go of that. But the Bible gives us a much better reason than just our own mental health, which I think is a good, solid reason. But it tell, it, we have a much greater reinforcement of that in the Scriptures that tells us, gives us real reason to let go of it. And that is simply this, that God is going to take care of it. Not just in a general way, but that God is going to take care of the evildoers. As soon as he says, do not fret because of evildoers, he says, listen, for like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. And that's not just because they're going to be gone, but it's because God is going to take care of them. God will judge the wicked. And so when he says, do not fret because of evildoers, he's not saying that's not a problem, that there is no such thing as evil. He's not saying that that's not a real threat even. But he's saying... You can't handle all that. Let me handle it. You've got to let go of that. because I and, I and God's saying, you can't take care of it, but I can and I will. He is going to do justice in the earth. He is going to see the wicked destroyed. So what's the group of evildoers, whether in your personal life or in the political life or in the church or whatever it is, that tends to keep you up at night? That you think about that just dry, makes your blood boil. I encourage you as you think about them, don't just think about them. Think about the God who's above them and recognize their days are numbered. He's going to take care of it. The Lord will sort it out. We don't need to think that they have the future. The Lord has the future. Now one of the reasons this is so hard though is because sometimes it causes us pain. But we need to recognize that the Lord also says, I'm going to deal with the wicked, but also I will sustain the righteous. I will sustain the righteous. He says at the very end of this, he concludes, and look at this, verse 39 through 40. He says, the salvation of the righteous comes from the Lord. He is their stronghold in time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. When we think about the problems of the world that are way bigger than us, that are scary even, we have a place to go. We have a stronghold. We have a refuge. 
We don't have to just let those things sit out there. We can go to the Lord and know that He's going to take care of us. That even if we struggle, that He is going to be with us. That we don't have to fear. Even if we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, for the Lord will be with us and His rod and staff will come for us. If we experience darkness, a light will keep shining because the Lord will sustain us. Then also, we also know even if we go through hard times, even if we suffer a little while, the Lord will bring us to a better place. He says in verse 6, He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. In other words, the Lord keeps bringing us to better places. Ultimately, this is true on our death and in the new heavens and new earth when all is completed, but it happens in this life too. The Bible teaches us that in a general way, those who wallow the ways of wickedness will meet their accounting. They will have to give account for what they're doing, even in this life. But also those who experience trouble for a time will come to a better place. There will be days of, uh, of rain and clouds, but there will also be days of sunshine. And the Lord says, your reward will shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. And as I thought about the story of, of Frederick Douglass, he's a good example of that. Because the Lord did bring him to a better place. He had him suffer in a way that probably many of us will not suffer. But um, he came to a better place. What happened? In the midst of the time when he was at the slave breaker's house, his master had a change of heart. He decided to send him to, an, to be an apprentice in Baltimore so he could learn a trade. And if he learned that trade, then everything he made would go to his owner, which kind of stinks, but it was better than what he was experiencing. But there, he also had opportunities to get away. And he met a woman named uh, Anna Murray, and she had saved up money because she was working as a launderer, not laundering money, but clothes. And... Um, she saved enough money to get him on the train and send him to New York City. Problem in New York City, though, at that time in the, in the 1850s was that it was filled with bounty hunters, uh, which you may know from Star Wars, right? <laughs> they did kind of the same thing. They get paid to take slaves who had run away back to their masters, and they get money for it. So it was kind of a dangerous place for him. So he kept going north, and he went to Massachusetts to a, a Quaker community that was known for its racial equality. And then... He was excited to be there. He started going to church. And he found the same sort of attitudes that he had seen in the South were there in the church. The principles that they held during the week were not evidence at church on Sunday, unfortunately. And so, for example, when he went to take communion at the Methodist church, those who were, who were black had to go to one side to take communion, and those who were white went to another side. And so he kept looking. And eventually he ended up in the African Methodist Episcopal Church, and he, he once again was reengaged in his faith. And he started preaching, he started teaching, and people, he was a good speaker, he got invited around. But the problem with this is he started to get famous. And then his own, he realized, my owners can know I'm here, they could actually come and get me at any time and forcibly take me back. So people decided to send him to England. And in England, he was finally safe. And that was a place where he was really accepted. And he spoke in all types of churches, with all types of people, and he said, this is what I've been looking for, a place where I'm just accepted as a fellow human being. And he was in a good place. And so you see, not everyone works out exactly like this. But often the Lord, after suffering, brings us to a better place, even in this life.
Now, Frederick Douglass was then, some people got some money together, and they, they paid for him to be freed as a slave so that he wouldn't have that over his head. So he had a decision to make. Am I going to stay in England where it's nice and comfortable and everybody accepts me? Or am I going to go back to the United States to seek to do some good? And he realized he had a mission from the Lord to go back. And what we see here is that one of the reasons the Lord... Why does the Lord, I might say, why does the Lord tell us not to fret because of evildoers? And the answer is because he wants us to focus on other things. Listen to what it says in verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the Lord and enjoy safe pasture. And so you see, Frederick Douglass knew that he was called to do good. And so he went back and he was involved in politics. And uh, he, he also was able to see eventually slavery abolished in this country. And then he went back to his former owner. And they were reconciled in Christ. And he could speak forgiveness to them. And, and so he did many good things. And I was thinking about this. Last night, uh, I went to, to visit a, a church in the community that were having their first anniversary. And the pastor there is Cuban. And he had a guest preacher who was from Cuba. And, and you think about a government that's really against Christianity. It is the government of Cuba. They do not like having the church there. They are totally opposed to it. They do all kinds of things to ruin it. They'll send women to seduce pastors in order to bring disgrace upon the, on the name of the church. They, they will put people in prison. They make it, if, if, you are, if you are a pastor, you cannot work outside the church. You're not allowed to. So they make all kinds of obstacles. But one thing that struck me is that these men, um, uh, one of whom I've gotten to know pretty well, did not fret because of the evildoers. I mean, he, was, he is opposed to that government. He would love to see it changed. I can tell you that. But what he did is he focused on doing good. He preached the gospel. He reached out to people. He planted churches. He, he was a superintendent of actually like 300 churches in, in Cuba. And I thought, that's an illustration of this. A real bad situation, much worse than we have here. But what did he do? He focused on doing good and trusting in the Lord. And that's what we're called to do here too, is that we need to, to say we can't, let, we can't fret because of evildoers because we've got other things to do. We've got, one of the things we need to do is we need to learn to trust the Lord. That's our, that's our first lesson, to learn to see that the Lord is in control, that the Lord is going to take care of us, that the future does not belong to the wicked, to those who are seeking to bring about evil things in this world. It belongs to the Lord. And he's going to do good, and he's going to do it in this life and in the next. And so that's the call here. Trust in the Lord. To say, don't let those other things be so big in your life. Let the Lord be much bigger. Secondly, not just to trust in the Lord, but to delight in the Lord. Look at what he says in verse 4. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Take delight in the Lord. One thing we need to know is that even though we experience many trials and sorrows, we do at times weep and mourn, really we're made for joy. We're made to experience joy. Really one of the big reasons that God made us is so that we could rejoice and rejoice and we find that joy when we find it in Him. Take delight in the Lord. 
That's one of our big goals. And so one of the ways that I say, they say we need to recalibrate, and sometimes it's a process, is, you know, ask yourself, am I fretting too much? Have I lost my delight in the Lord? How, have, I, have I lost my ability to just rejoice in Him? That's one way we can know that we've let these things take over our hearts. And, and you know, it doesn't mean that we don't have sorrow too. The Apostle Paul says that we are sorrowing and yet rejoicing. So both can be present. But we are made to delight in the Lord. And then third, we are meant to do good to those around us. Trust in the Lord and do good, our passage says. And down in verse 21, it says, The wicked borrow and do not repay, but the righteous give generously. And then in verse 26, They are always generous and lend freely. Their children will be a blessing, so turn from evil and do good. It's what we saw in Psalm 112 last week, that those who trust in the Lord, who, who have no fear of bad news because they have confidence the Lord will do them good, they are those who are generous and give freely. They scatter their gifts to the poor. That's what the Lord calls us to do. And so I think one of the key ways we can find, you know, examine our hearts to say, are we following what the Lord has said? Do not fret because of those who are evil. Is, are we able to keep doing the good that God has called us to do? So one of the things I really like you to take from this is that is just to watch watch out for what is rolling around in your head. What is rolling around in your head? I think so often what's rolling around in our head is a lot of the threats that are sometimes real, a lot of times imagined. We have a great gift for imagining things too. But real threats too. Uh, the people that could bring them to us. And that dominates our minds and hearts. And I'm not saying we should ignore those things. I'm not saying we shouldn't oppose them. I'm not saying that we shouldn't think about them or make provision to deal with them. But what I'm saying is what we need to let roll around in our head a lot more than we do is what good can I do to all those around me? Let that keep rolling around in your head. What good can I do to all those around me? What is the good that God has put me here to do? What is the good that I'm here to accomplish? Because God has given each one of us gifts and he wants to use every single one of you to do a great amount of good. Probably much more good than you've ever imagined. But we have to seek that from the Lord. We have to ask him. We have to follow his way. And he will use us. He will open the doors in ways we never thought. But we always need to remember that what's going to give us the power and strength to keep doing good to those around us. We don't have it in ourselves to do that. We need an assurance that things are going to be well in the end. We need assurance that things are going to go good, that we're going to be able to move forward without destroying ourselves. And the Lord gives us that assurance. He says, I'm going to take care of you. He says to all those who have trusted him, I have forgiven you. I gave my son for you. I, I raised him from the dead for you. I, he's sitting at the right hand of the Father for you. He's praying for you right now so that your sins can be forgiven. And he's saying, like, I've got good to do to you. I'm going to keep doing you good. I'm, going to, I'm the faithful God, he says, and I'm going to keep doing good. Even if you do wrong, I'm going to bring you back, and I'm going to forgive you again, and you're going to keep growing, and you're going to keep learning, and you're going to prosper. And even if you go through hard, hard times, I'm going to bring you out of it to a better place, better than you ever imagined before. That is the promise of the Lord. 
That's what we need to fill our hearts with.